Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you have listened to our past podcast conversations. And if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcast, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and at any online book retailer you prefer. Check it out today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand, both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you're looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them at cabotrisk.com. In part two of our podcast today, I'm thrilled to welcome back Ashley Willens, an assistant professor at the Harvard Business School in Negotiations, Organizations, and Markets. Ashley is passionate about science communication and public engagement, and she regularly writes about her research for popular press outlets, including the Harvard Business Review, Scientific American, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Wall Street Journal. Ashley is the author of a new book, Time Smart, how to reclaim your time and live a happier life. And I think the best fact about Ashley is that before she started her career in research, she worked professionally as an actor. We all know that teaching and research requires acting, so I hope we hear all about that. Let's rejoin our conversation with Ashley. I'd love to talk with you for a few minutes, Ashley, about bravery in the workplace. And you know, my personal belief, and I'm not a statistician and I'm not a researcher, but based on my 25 years in corporate America, my own personal experiences, you know, I think time or the quote unquote absence of it leads people to not do things that they need to do or say things they need to say. So if I say to you on Tuesday, you know, I'm going to talk to our boss tomorrow and provide him feedback on how he's behaving at meetings. And on Friday, you say, hey, did that, how did that conversation go? There's a very high likelihood I might say, oh, I didn't have time or I ran out of time or I couldn't get to it, et cetera. So I'll just have an, ask an open question, and uh, we can dig into it a little bit specifically, uh, either in your research or just your own observations. You know, is there a relationship between time and getting things done that need to get done? There is some very good research out of the University of Chicago attesting to the fact that when we feel stressed, either for money or for time, but in, for time in particular, that we become myopically focused on the most seemingly urgent and easiest to address task in front of us. This is the phenomenon whereby if you have a major project due at work, your inbox goes to zero. There's a word for this in the psychological literature called the mere urgency effect. And it is the idea that especially when you're feeling time stressed, you work towards things that feel easy, like checking a quick email or doing your scheduling or calendar, because it helps you feel in control or to take back control of what feels like an insurmountable set of situational constraints. You feel overwhelmingly busy. And as a result, you do the most 
urgent, but not necessarily the most important item on your to-do list. And I think this is really important. And it's something when I'm talking to executives and employees that there is a resistance around taking time, around talking about time as an important resource because we're evaluated in society around our job titles, around extrinsic rewards, around hours, object, objective outcomes. And people are, you know, often fail to recognize or fail to want to admit that they need time and, and to negotiate for it. And I think a really important point that I always advocate for is that making more time in your calendar, leaving Slack time enables you to be a better citizen. So I talk about this idea as being time focused is pro-social. We often think about taking time as being something that comes at the expense of others. And my data suggests that people who have more time affluence, more control over their schedule, are more likely to speak up when they see wrongdoings in the workplace. They are more pro-social. They give more back to their communities. They're more likely to be politically engaged. In the last year, they've been more likely to write to an official to express their opinion about an issue they felt very important, that was very important. They spend more time getting to know the people around them. And all of these kinds of behaviors are pro-social. They're helpful. They're community building. And so my research suggests that focusing on time first isn't selfish, but rather a mechanism by which we can truly help those around us. I think there is an important distinction. So part of why when we're busy, we will not necessarily work on the most important issues is psychological. But sometimes people also use time as an excuse for avoiding situations in in their own life that they wish that were there, that they didn't have to deal with. And so we actually have a paper showing that time excuses when people say they can't do something because they don't have enough time. This is not a very good way to present why you didn't get something done because it feels to the other person that you didn't care about whatever they had asked. So I really advocate one for giving yourself enough time, leaving Slack so you can work on actual important issues in your day. Um, and to have these more difficult conversations that might take a bit of thought and careful planning. And also to not use time as an excuse. If, if we can't do something or have to have a difficult conversation, it's better for the other person to face that decision and that conversation head on and, and not to push it into the future and say you can't have that conversation because you don't have time. Well, I think that's a lofty uh, objective because when I think about time as it relates to things that we need to do. Uh, if we don't do something we need to do, we will often say, I ran out of time or I couldn't find the time. And if we do something that we're supposed to do, we'll oftentimes say, oh, I found time to do it or the time just opened up and I took advantage of it. Right. So we almost use time as like a, uh, 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 you know, a suspect or a uh, player in respect to this set of activities that we create a desire to do versus you know, managing it or finding the time to purposely do things that we need to do. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. So if you say that I'm giving time to to your cause, that's mm-hmm. really positively perceived. But when you say I can't do something because I don't have time, that's more of a signal of preference. And so if you want to show your investment and commitment to a cause, to a person, to a conversation, you should actually say, I've made time for this, this because it signals this is really important to me. But on the converse, if you want to get out of something, saying you don't have time is not the necessarily the best route forward. Well, I love that perspective. I think that's it, Ashley, that when I said to my colleague, when my colleague on Friday said to me, did you talk to your boss? And I said, no, I ran out of time. I think what's really happening is that colleague of mine is thinking either you really couldn't find time because you got hit with a big project or your preference was not to do it. And you found other things to do that were more urgent, quote unquote, and uh, it helped you avoid having this tough conversation. As we know, culturally, we tend to avoid conflict. We're not taught conflict management in high school or college or graduate school, unless you take a specific course in it. And it's not something we're good at. We just don't know how to say what we need to say or do what we need to do. And I, I love that word preference as it applies to bravery in the relationship with time, because time is somewhat uh, unmanaged by somebody else. You know, if you tell me you didn't have enough time, I'm not following you all day. So I don't know if you had time or not. So I think there's an expectation that you just accept that justification. But in reality, is it more of a preference that you just decided not to do it and found other things like that research from the University of Chicago, the myopic effect that as you make other things bigger and take more time, preventing you from saying what you need to say or doing what you need to do. Yes, absolutely. And one other thing that I will mention is related to this conversation, not only do we sometimes use time as an excuse or not leave enough time to work on truly important things in our personal and professional lives, we also don't always ask for time when we could or should. And so one thing I advocate for, and we have several working papers on this idea right now, is for managers and organizational cultures to normalize that it's okay to sometimes ask for additional time to work on adjustable deadlines at work, well in advance of the deadline, of course, because sometimes junior employees, and especially women, are afraid to speak out and to ask for more time when they could really benefit from it the quality of work could benefit, their mental health could benefit. So it's up to managers and team leaders to set a culture by which employees feel like they can be truthful when they do need time. And yet there is a delicate balance of of making sure that that culture is such that people are not always asking for more time, but truly only asking for it when they need it. But we see that in general, people under ask as opposed to over ask for more time on adjustable deadlines at work. And this contributes to burnout and to high levels of stress to this feeling of having to work all the time. Well, you remind me of another part of your book that I loved, which was this topic about asking for more time. And I think when I put my hat back on as a corporate employee, you know, one of the reasons I rarely did that, so I would be one of those people who rarely would ask for more time, is this belief that I created that I would be judged. And if I came back and said, hey, I know I had said that the report I could get you would be done by Thursday, but based on X, Y, and Z, I think it's going to be Monday. I created a belief that my boss would say in his or her mind, 
oh, they're not working fast enough, or, oh, I gave it to the wrong person, right? I would create all of these scenarios, which in reality, I don't know because I didn't ask, right? I mean, the outcome could have been, hey, I appreciate you asking. You absolutely could have a few more days. We really want to make sure it gets done right, not quickly. So as long as I can get it by Monday, then take till Monday. And our data bears all of this out. People who ask for more time on adjustable deadlines and work ahead of the deadline turn in better quality work. And people who don't ask are more likely to believe they'll be negatively judged. If anything, all of the managers across our 10, 15 studies we've collected on this topic now across a variety of different workplaces think that that employee is more committed and more motivated, not less, because they are clearly planning their work and want to turn in high quality output. And so our beliefs in this case are not necessarily correct. Uh, managers typically see us as more responsive and more committed as opposed to less when we ask for more time, at least a few days in advance. And I think unscientifically, in my mind, this correlates to bravery in the workplace because people who do say what needs to be said or do what needs to be done, I believe the positiveness of the outcome, if they prep it well and have an accountability partner and practice what they need to say or do and ensure that they've covered all the bases and negative aspects that might occur, the likelihood for a positive outcome is actually greater. So, Ashley, what can people do? a little bit differently than they're doing today. And if you can kind of frame it as bravery, uh, you may or may not be able to do that, but you know, what could they do a little differently than they're doing today to find time or to ensure that if they need to say something to somebody that is important, but requires amongst many emotions, bravery to do it? I think in my research, the idea of being brave related to time is asking for what you need and framing it as a way for you to contribute your best self to the task at hand, be that personal or professional. We need to start thinking about time as a resource that we should protect fiercely, negotiate for, advocate for. And especially in the modern workplace, this is going to be an act of bravery. We're not taught how to ask for more time. We're told how to work longer and harder. We are not taught to fight for work-life balance. We're taught to give up our life in order to have meaningful work. And my research suggests that people who advocate and fight for their time, who are brave and stand up and ask for what they need, can create positive and transformative changes, not just for themselves, but for the people, the communities, and the workplaces that they care about. So overall, my research suggests that asking for more time, taking it, enjoying it, and being very intentional and purposeful with it is a way to act brave in the workplace that will not only benefit you, but also benefit individuals around you. Well, I love this piece of advice for our listeners, because I would tell you today that most people, if I was to talk to 100 colleagues and said, how is it going? They would use the word busy because they believe that they have too much to do and not enough time to do it. And then if my second question was, have you asked for more time? I guarantee you that they would say no, that they have not even thought about it. You know, even if it is an option, they haven't even thought about it as an option. And if it was an option, again, all these other political and emotional things get layered in and their ability to strategically ask for more time is hard. So I think what you're attempting to educate people on is that, you know, asking for more time is a strategic positive 
step forward to ensure that the work you're doing is fantastic and that you're contributing your best self and your best work to whatever outcome you're working on. Absolutely. And one other additional strategy related to directly asking for more time is more indirect, but equally as important, which is taking all of the time your workplace has already entitled you, i.e. taking all of your paid vacation and unpaid vacation. Again, that actually produces dividends for work. Many people forgo vacation because they want to be more productive. And that very decision comes at the expense of the goal they were trying to get to in the first place. People who take more paid vacation, come back to work with refreshed perspectives, are more creative and more productive as a result. So it's not just about directly asking for more time on tasks at work, but also taking the time that you're entitled to take through vacation as a mechanism by which to stand up and say that the things that you do outside of work also matter so you can bring your full self to work while you're there. So that's the topic for a whole different podcast, which is vacation time, because certainly uh, speaking about the United States of America, culturally, we do not take enough vacation time. And I can tell you A specific example with one of my daughters who worked for an organization and was struggling with the idea of taking vacation time because of the impact that it would have on clients. And I said, you know, they take vacation as well and the company will survive and their company will survive with you not being there for five days, trust me. So it's hard, you know, just culturally it is hard for people to take time off. Yeah, it really is. A lot of the same psychological mechanisms apply. So to the same extent that you can think about asking for more time to your direct manager or with your peers, your teammates is an act of bravery. So too, in some ways, is taking all of your paid vacation. And I think these ideal worker norms that exist in the U.S. lead us to not take it or to not enjoy it when we take it. But the auto response and your apps and friends tell you to not check your phone are the best path to actually getting a vacation, taking it and enjoying it. And the most important part is if you do that, other people will feel entitled to do the same. Again, another example of how you being brave and taking that vacation will positively influence everyone around you. Well, I love that because when we talk about bravery in the workplace, we're not talking about the red button in the Oval Office you know, and bravery of that nature, but it can be something others might consider to be smaller or less monumental, like asking for time off for some people, going to their boss to request a week off, even three or four months from now, requires bravery because whatever's going on in the office and the activities, et cetera, that that alone is something for some people that requires a significant amount of bravery. So Ashley, it was really fantastic speaking with you today. And I will encourage everyone to purchase your book, Time Smart, How to Reclaim Your Time and Live a Happier Life. If people want to talk a little bit more with you about your book or the work that you're doing or your acting career, how can they get in touch with you? Sure. Yeah, I would welcome uh, questions and comments on any of those areas. I'm at A Willens, A W H I L L A N S at hbs.edu. And also, you am very findable on Twitter. So you can email me or find me on Twitter, and I'd be more than happy to engage in a conversation with you. Fantastic. Ashley, thanks again for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week. And we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. 
We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at thebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on Apple, Google, CastBox, Overcast, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher. Tune in. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.